Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to the House of Pod, a show where we pull back the curtain on the world of medicine, we answer questions about your health, and we interview great guests. I'm Joe, and I'm not a doctor. And I'm Lizzie. And I'm Kaveh. And we're two gastroenterologists. What's a gastroenterologist? You know, the doctors who work with your digestive system. Say what? You know, your liver, your pancreas, your intestines. Where now? Your butt, Joe. It's your butt. Oh... On today's show, we have Dr. Lisa Welling. She's going to talk to us about behavioral endocrinology and the science of attraction. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the House of Pod. I'm Kaveh. I'm Lizzie. And Joe isn't with us today. He is teaching a goat yoga class here in San Francisco. How are you doing, Lizzie? I'm good. I have a weird thing. Yeah? I you learned... have... Yeah, you do. <laughs> More than one. I learned the other day at work that I'm like sort of sexist. Uh, no. Okay. Go on. Go I'm on. like, I'm not shocked. I'm just listening. Oh. Go on. Bummer. <laughs> go on. <laughs> I thought that would be more of like a shock value thing. What? Yeah. <laughs> no. I created the schedule. Uh, at work. So I've created all the assignments. Like today's your day to scope. Today's your day to go to clinic. Today's mm-hmm. your day to go to jury duty. I've created them. This is like my acronyms, let's yeah. say. And I have a colleague who's expecting a child very soon. So I told him the other day, just go ahead, put in maternity, go ahead and put in maternity leave is really what I said. Mm-hmm. He goes, you mean paternity leave? And I realized in that moment that I never created <laughs> A paternity mm-hmm. leave. Mm-hmm. I only created maternity, maternity leave. leave. So he's like, you're sexist. And I'm like, you're right. Yeah. But is it really? I mean, you kind of are. I mean, you're not not giving him the time. He's just. No, right. Y- it's totally. I What I do is just a program. It has nothing to do. It doesn't translate into billing or time off. I'm not like a boss. Along those lines, 
like if a guy says to you, yeah, we're expecting, yeah. and it, what do you, what's your stance on that? That's a good question. Um, yeah, I, I don't like it when there's a we component to something that's very individual. It's a bit of a pet peeve, you know, when I say, Kave, did you enjoy dinner? You say, yeah, we loved it. I mean, I'm asking you yeah. a question about right. your experience with eating or a movie or something and the we, we're expecting... I think it takes, I think that uh, a man in that parenthood role is really important, but I feel like you might be diminishing how uncomfortable the woman might be. Right, right. But at the same time, what if the purpose of this person is to sort of show unity? Like, we're going to yeah. do this together, honey. Yeah, no, I get the concept. But uh, yeah, I think we're, he's expecting a child. She's expecting... A lot of pain. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I mentioned on a previous episode that I have video footage. That's right, of your sister delivering, yeah. One pain. day we'll, we'll post that, if that's okay, Laura. Thank you. She says yes. Um, okay, yeah. I get, I'm, not, I'm not one that would use that phrase, by the way. But Oh, where? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I should I'm have not, asked you. I'm not you. a weird guy. I mean, yeah. it's sort of a weird the individualizing thing and yeah. it's, you're right it sort of downplays the contribution i mean the best dad the best father expectant or otherwise is still probably only about like half as good or goes through half as much in the worst situations right as as an average woman right yeah i mean my half please but i i do i appreciate the concept of solidarity but i could i think i would say you know, she's pregnant and I'm really nervous or I'm really excited or just, yeah. you know, sort of put your emotion in. But it, it's a separate journey, don't you think? Having oh, gone yeah. through it. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, there's no I have no uh, delusion. Yeah. Right. How right. different our experiences were. During Kabe that just looked at me with very intense eyes. Oh, it's, it's different. It's yeah. Different. I think parenting is different. But I think sure. the act of those nine and a half even, months. <laughs> even parenting. I mean, like, you know, there's. It's, you do nothing. It's hard. It's hard. Even the best dad is, well, I don't want to say that. There's I'm some great kidding. dads out there and there's some lousy moms, but you know, it, it still sort of holds true to some degree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so something happened that was sort of um, a coincidence, a fun coincidence, if you will. That day that we had Umang Meta, Plastic uh, surgeon. Plastic surgeon. He came over here and we did a video with him uh, about some uh, celebrity plastic surgery. Check right. it out on YouTube, by the way, if you haven't. Right. We have links up on our Facebook page. We have two videos of him. Um, one talking, sort of justifying his choice of plastic surgery. And if he felt any kind of shame or had to explain himself because it is right. um, a lucrative and maybe more vain clientele. But he obviously right. has very great intentions and earnestness. Because a medical student had wrote, had written to us asking us about it because yeah. the medical student was kind of getting some negative sort of feedback and was getting sort of some, was being looked down upon by his classmates because he was, um, I think Curtis was interested in going into plastic surgery. And so that's why we had him on to talk about that. And then right. we also did the, the right. And then we talked about surgery. Specifically, Kylie Jenner, who's a beautiful woman before and after, but we were talking about all of the things that she had done. So uh, a couple hours after that, I get a phone call from Tyler, my boyfriend, who will post a picture of this, decided to, I guess accidentally get hit in the face with a ginormous softball he decided on that i mean it wasn't his choice it was totally accidental but someone threw a ball and it landed right in his eye hole and um and it was great that we had umang on because then i was texting him hey umang tyler got his face smashed with a ball what do you recommend and he gave actually wonderful he's like lip filler we got him 
He's looking a little bit haggard around the edges. Right. Do you have any Botox? I recommend Botox. I'm just kidding. Obviously, that does actual orbital fractures can be really dangerous. Totally. And the ER doc was great and immediately, you know, looked for corneal abrasions, looked to make sure that the optic nerves were intact or the ocular muscles were intact. And Uman gave great advice and then Tyler got great care and got a CAT scan of his head and his brain was unremarkable. His brain was unremarkable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, I just thought that was like a really fun, not fun experience for Tyler. It was awful. But like a very weird coincidence that, you know, two hours after we talked to this man about his decision to go into facial plastic surgery, Tyler actually needs oh that God. consult. Well, that's funny because on today's show, we have a behavioral endocrinologist so like i'm hoping that one of our friends doesn't need like stat testosterone or something right a stat birth control pill <laughs> so uh before we get to our next guest um first a shout out to our facebook followers whose suggestions actually led to this guest her name is dr lisa welling she's a uh, tenured professor at oakland university in michigan and she studies behavioral endocrinology and the science of attraction so if you guys have other ideas for guests that you want to have on, you know, let us know. We are actually, after we posted uh, a couple weeks ago about trying to get people uh, people's uh, ideas for guests, we got a lot of great ideas and we're reaching out to those people. So let us know if you have an idea. And also follow us at Instagram and Twitter at The House of Pod, or you can find us on Facebook. We also have videos that we have links up to on Facebook, like that Umong Meta plastic surgery video. That's a really fun one. And lastly, Tell your friends about the show. Stay tuned. And with us today, we have tenured professor of behavioral endocrinology, the author of the Oxford Handbook of Evolutionary Psychology and Behavioral Endocrinology, Lisa Welling. Hello, how are you? Good, how are you? And that is Dr. Lisa Wellings, of course, right? That's correct, yeah. Um, Thank you for coming today. Um, My we, pleasure. Our listeners have overwhelmingly asked for... Um, a hormonal expert or an expert in hormones. Um, so can you explain to our listeners what a behavioral endocrinologist is? So behavioral endocrinology is this discipline that basically kind of encompasses several other disciplines. It's, it's broadly speaking, the study of how hormones impact behavior. And so um, people within medicine, of course, are interested in it. Uh, my training is in psychology. Psychologists are very interested in how hormones impact behavior. Uh, but also other disciplines like anthropology, for example, and so forth. So interestingly enough, we're just we want to see how um, these tiny chemical messengers that are you know released into the bloodstream and fluid systems in our bodies impact how we respond and um, behave just generally. So the ones that we all know, again, that are that our listeners are most interested in are like the most common that we hear about testosterone, estrogen, and progesterone, right? So yes, and that dictates yeah, I tend a lot to focus of focus on the steroid hormones. That's where most of my research lies. So I look mostly at testosterone, but also progesterone, estrogen, like you mentioned, and also cortisol, which is most commonly thought of as the stress hormone. Yeah. So some of your research um, has shown that across the world and across cultures, there are features that are universally attractive. 
Um, mm-hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about what that what those are and what your research has found? So research has found that some we, we tend to think of traction as, you know, um, it's kind of in the eye of the beholder, that sort of an idea. But actually, except with the exception of some things like, you know, fashion trends that change and so on, there's actually a lot of commonalities across different cultures and what people think of as attractive. Um, so one thing that's thought of as very attractive is a symmetrical face. If one half of your face basically aligns with the other half of your face, that is thought to be a sign of developmental stability. Basically, that you have good genes for for immunocompetence, for fighting off um, pathogens and things that may cause asymmetries during, during development. And so that's one example of a trait that's considered fairly universally attractive. Um, cues to current health are also considered attractive. So if someone has, you know, a runny nose and pale skin and that kind of an idea. That's obviously not considered attractive. But um, even more strongly than that, you look at things like skin tone, skin color, um, kind of a reddish and a little bit of a yellowish pigment to the skin is a sign of underlying uh, good diet. So that's a good general health. That's considered attractive. Uh, A lot of my research has looked at what are called sexual dimorphic characteristics. And um, that's a fancy way of saying sex typical characteristics or masculine traits in men and feminine traits in women. And uh, pretty much across the board, feminine traits in women are thought of as as very attractive. Um, With men, it seems to vary a little bit whether we find very masculine men attractive versus relatively speaking somewhat more feminine men. But in situations in which conception is more likely, it appears that People, te- women, I should say, tend to gravitate more towards more uh, cues to more masculine features in men. And there is some evidence, although it has been somewhat contested, that um, these sexual dimorphic traits may be considered attractive because they might signal underlying genetic immunocompetence. So in other words, they may signal uh, healthy genes. So in regards to asymmetry, because I've heard that before, I've heard that beauty is sort of about like one side of your face has to look like the other side of your face. Um but is there any actual scientific correlation to having an asymmetrical feature and being less healthy? I mean, is it? I mean, is there anything that? And I know that's not necessarily what people in their like lizard brains are thinking when they see someone with a symmetrical face. But is there any actual evidence that that's true? There's more evidence that it's true in the animal kingdom, but there is some evidence that it is true in the human king in the human kingdom in the <laughs> in the human species rather. I meant to say. Um, So there's a researcher named Randy Thornhill, for example, and he's found uh, that people who are more symmetrical actually report uh, fewer health problems in their past. So fewer, um, they're less likely to be asthmatic, for example, and um, are less likely to have chest colds and things of that nature in one of his studies they looked at. So the evidence is weaker, certainly, in humans, but there is some evidence there that symmetry may equate to good genetic immunocompetence to fight off parasites and diseases and things. I saw a TED talk where you talk about how people, you know, if you ask them what's the most important when you're finding someone to date or marry, that they'll write that it's not necessarily physical attraction, but that's not accurate, right? Exactly. So there have been some really interesting studies that have been done using speed dating, for example. And <laughs> we love uh, to talk <laughs> about uh, online dating here on our show. So if you can online tell us another good one. Yeah, yeah. You can't see the <laughs> symmetry of the face as well on those photos. Right. But absolutely. Yep. That's true. And people can kind of put forward uh, false identities a lot more easily on online dating and yeah. so forth. And we have this idea that there's always something better out there because of the plethora of online dating 
But um, yeah, evidence suggests that what people think they want in an actual partner isn't what they actually go for oftentimes. And so these first impressions, these primary attractions, uh, they are definitely very important in underlying mate choice. Yeah, but this is like the bad boy phenomenon, right? Like you write down all the things that you want and that you should get, yet you go after the jerk, right? That's like the yeah. <laughs> every every Molly Ringwald t- uh, movie in the world, right? That can certainly happen. Yeah, the jerks still get dates. So. Yeah, <laughs> sweet. <laughs> so your your research has sort of shown that um, what I think everyone has always assumed, <laughs> which is that attractive people sort of do better in life, like you know, in everything, or at least research research has shown that like attractive people are going to be preferred for jobs. They're going to even be like cuter babies are, are better taken care of in the yeah. uh, intensive, uh, like the, the NICU, the neonatal mm-hmm. intensive care unit. Um, a couple of questions we have about that. First, how is that not going to be depressing? Is there like a silver lining to this? <laughs> I mean, as, as a species, we seem incredibly shallow. Is this, is this, sort of universal in the animal kingdom or are we just particularly shallow <laughs> do humans suck i think we know the <laughs> humans, answer to that humans yeah we're not always the best uh, that's certainly true um i would there are some silver linings though because we do place an, a huge importance on other characteristics for our long-term mates so yes we can be very shallow in the short term particularly for short-term mating. That's a fancy way of saying things like one-night stands, hookups, that kind of stuff. Um, But for long-term partnerships, people do value things like kindness, potential to be a good parent, long-term investment in the partnership and potential children. And some of our recent research finds that um, above all else, we pride uh, trustworthiness, actually. So if there is signs of, or if you know of, for example, um, a potential partner's history of sexual infidelity with previous partners, you're much less likely to even have a one-night stand with that person. Uh, Even like just, you don't even care about the sexual hookups anymore because that has such a detrimental impact on um, their overall attractiveness to you. Mm -hmm. So we're not entirely shallow. We're very shallow in some ways, but there is some silver lining there. So is there any uh, thing you found in your research, some genetic predisposition or some hormonal changes that are associated with some of those negative things like propensity to cheat or propensity to be unfaithful or something like that? Have you seen anything like that? Because we all would assume, I think, that a higher testosterone level would be sort of a, a problem. I think that would be the intuitive approach. But is, is anything like that ever proven? Not in terms of actual cheating, but um, there has been some research looking across the female menstrual cycle, and, there ha- and that research has found uh, that women are more likely to fantasize about extra extra pair copulations or cheating on their partners um, during the fertile period of their menstrual cycle compared to other times of their menstrual cycle. So when they're more likely to get pregnant, women are more likely to fantasize about extra pair copulations or cheating on their partners. I love these but, terms like guard yeah. mating for jealousy. Guard mating, right. That's true. An extra co- Mate extra, guarding. Yeah. yeah. Mate guarding for jealousy, guarding. Um, which is a fancy way of just kind of saying keeping tabs on your partner, which is something you do if you're a jealous person. But um, this finding of being more likely to fantasize didn't necessarily translate into actual behavior. So 
Gentlemen, there's no need to stalk your partners when they're ovulating. Let's just clarify that. Um, and also, we saw this effect was seen in this research as um, strongest amongst people where there was, how do you put this, a discrepancy in so-called mate value. So if the woman considered herself to be of a higher mate value or mate quality as compared to her partner, to use kind of a simplistic terms if she considers herself a 10 and considers her partner to be like a six then she's most likely to actually have these extra pair Mm -hmm. fantasies Mm -hmm. however if it's the opposite if she actually has her partner up on a pedestal or thinks they're roughly equal that doesn't actually happen Hmm. so then she'll actually um, show no difference or in some cases they found show increased fantasies about her primary partner so it depends a lot about the dynamics in the relationship right Do you have any thoughts about like the future and how you could apply some of your research to things like online dating? Because that is the future and and, and our listeners and we have talked a lot about it. And just um, it's really the way that we see a lot of people pairing up in our in this day and age. Yeah. Interestingly enough, uh, a really recent study that came out and I can't remember the authors of it. I'm not on this particular paper, but a recent study that came out found that um, one of the reasons people are delaying marriage as long as they are now, the average age of marriage, last I checked, was um, 26 for women, first marriage that is, and 28 for men, it might even be older. Um, But it seems to continuously be getting longer and longer. People are waiting until their first marriage. And a recent study has found that one of the reasons is people are dating more and dating longer. And um, that, at least in part, seems to be because they have this perception that there's more fish out in the sea, plenty of fish in the sea, plenty of fish Mm. in the sea kind of an idea. Uh, So they're less likely to work on, when they were relatively young, uh, a long-term relationship with a partner than they might have been in generations past, according to this study, because of this perception of there being more available out there. And they think that is largely, at least um, to some points anyway, uh, influenced by this online dating phenomenon that's kind of taking over the dating world in general. How that translates into behavior with respect to behavioral and technology, well, stay tuned, actually, because that's something we're looking into right now. Me and a graduate student of mine, her name is Ginny Mitchell, we're looking at how um, the menstrual cycle hormones, how they fluctuate, basically how that might predict online dating related behaviors, including um, taking and editing selfies. So basically this kind of sign of um, being attractive. Are you more likely to post provocative selfies around ovulation versus other times? Are you more likely to edit them so that you look more attractive during that point of your cycle versus other times, that kind of thing? We don't actually have any answers on that yet, but we're looking into it. This is stuff that I assume must be really hard to study because there's so many variables. There's the social variables, economic variables. There's then on top of the genetic and behavioral and endocrinologic, endocrinologic, (laughs) (laughs) endocrinologic. (laughs) Yeah. The variables, there's so many things going into this. I mean, how are you able to approach this with a scientific method? How are you able to do it? Well, it's a few different ways. It depends on the specific research question. But uh, one thing we try and do is bring people directly into the lab. We um, take, I have a freezer full of spit in my lab <laughs> because we literally have people spit into tubes so that we can measure their hormone levels. We measure, typically measure all four of the steroid hormones, um, estradiol, which is the main estrogen hormone, progesterone, cortisol, and testosterone. We do that in um, both men and women. And um, we try and keep everything about the lab environment as controlled as possible and also 
collect a sufficiently large enough sample that we can um, basically expect that we have a relatively representative um, sample of the population. Got you. So through this process, through all of these things you've studied, um, what's the most surprising thing that you've learned? We're um, a lot more biological than we think we are, <laughs> I guess, is what it comes down to. We tend to think that, um, you know, we're separate from other animals, other primates, etc. And, um, you know, research into biological psychology suggests that in many ways we're not. You know, we are still... Um, at the mercy of these chemical messengers in a lot of ways. Yeah, we're still basically uh, multicellular organisms responding to basic stimuli. What, what yeah, absolutely. You, so what do you say to people then who say you're taking the magic out of romance <laughs> or that you're that this is sort of uh, taking the, the romance out of uh, attraction, that studying <laughs> the science of attraction is taking the magic out of it. What What do you say to them? I don't think knowledge about how our bodies and behavior work is going to change, you know, thousands of years of evolution. So I don't think it's going to matter that we know, but knowledge is power, that being said. So there is a part of me that just feels that this research could eventually be used for evil. Like I feel, <laughs> I feel like people knowing like there's there's if we really get down and dig down into like the the nitty-gritty of these things people are going to find a way to use this in really weird ways like i had a buddy in college who used to wear this awful cologne because it was supposed to like have pheromones on it to attract women and it clearly didn't work sorry buddy your name is being withheld but like (laughs) you know clearly it didn't work but like if we are able to do something like that like create like some sort of hormonal like messenger isn't are we getting into a, a weird place with that you're talking that about love potions yeah exactly like real like love potions if we are able to like come to a science that says okay if you can find out when this woman is ovulating and then you like make yourself look more masculine and you grow like a facial hair at that time maybe you put on a little of this extra take this in the future, we have like a little like extra testosterone that everyone just takes here and there. You know, it's like a multivitamin or something. Or if we're able to create like a, a an actual cologne or something that has that that pheromone on it. I mean, it, it, am I wrong to, to to be a little bit worried about that? Well, remember, we're complex biopsychosocial beings, so it's not just about the biology; it's also about the psychology and the social elements in any relationship. So there may be physical attraction does not mean you have to act on said physical attraction. Even if you could create a magic cologne, you're not going to have like the Axe commercials happening where women are literally going to be throwing themselves at you because there's more to it than than just one single element. So we do investigate these these independent elements and try and control other elements um, to see how that one specific thing, be it scent, be it a hormone, whatever the case may be, masculinity, femininity, how that influences behavior and preferences, sure. But out in the real world, that's only going to be one single element of attraction and um, decision making. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, I just know that I know men. I've met men. (laughs) We're awful. And if there's a way for men to game the system in some way in their favor, they will. I think the point is, is that you still need to wine and dine. You still need to put the effort in. It's not just all biochemically predetermined. There's still other things that you can't account for, right? 
I mean, we're still working on that. It, it, I, that's the kind of the point behind uh, behind the scientific method to try and understand all elements of uh, human behavior and, well, you know, life in general in the universe. But that's not going to happen during our lifetimes. So let's just keep working at it. A lot of your research seems to be about uh, you know, heteronormative relationships. Do you have any research or any data on homosexual relationships? And, and does the same uh, strategies, are they applying in those relationships as well? Unfortunately, I have limited, uh, only limited data on um, non-heterosexuals at this time, but it's something I am definitely pursuing. Um, so there's been some really interesting data out there. Uh, and research that has found that these principles still seem to apply to non-heterosexuals as well. A good example is, um, so sex drive across the cycle. Evidence suggests that women have a higher sex drive and are more likely to initiate sexual encounters when they're ovulating versus other times. You also see that among lesbian couples, which is fantastic. You know, it's, so mm-hmm. you're seeing the exact same kind of um, evolutionarily derived behaviors being exhibited in um, various populations regardless of sexual orientation. Yeah, that's interesting also because women tend to sync up their cycles, which is true. Actually a myth. Oh, it is? Mental synchrony is a myth. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Go on. There is some research by a researcher named McClintock who did initially find mental synchrony, but it has been since been shown to be just kind of a mathematical anomaly that huh. basically with it being... Uh, so women's menstrual cycles are of similar length, but off by a few days. And over time, you're going to every once in a while have a coincidence where people tend to be on the cycle at the same time. Yeah. So a follow up paper basically found that it was a, a mathematical anomaly in the original paper. Yeah. And they have not. And a follow up paper to that one also found no evidence of menstrual synchrony among lesbian couples who obviously live very closely together. So if you were to expect menstrual synchrony among any uh, group of women living together, it would be lesbian couples. And they didn't find it there. That's fascinating. I de- it's just, it's interesting. I think as humans, we also look for patterns, right? And we look for we do, similarities. Yeah. And, you know, I definitely have been around many people who are like, oh my God, we've synced up, you know, and it's just, it's uh, fascinating. We've I'm, been doing the show so long, we've synced up. We've totally synced up. It must up. just yes. be complete coincidence. It's awesome to dispel some uh, myth that, that we d- both thought was true. So thank you for that. <laughs> so another question, um, do you think, this is I think what our listeners most want to hear, and honestly, patients in the office, I think men will look for reasons maybe to feel less sex drive or maybe some impotence issues, you know, that just happen with time. And I think a lot of people want a magic cure a magic bullet for a lot of ailments so i think mm-hmm. a lot of men are asking that we're not primary care doctors but a lot of men are asking their primary care doctors about taking testosterone supplements so do you think that all men should be on testosterone supplements no so unless men are um in the hypogonadal range basically unless their testes are not producing pretty much any testosterone testosterone actually doesn't have that strong of an impact on men's sex drive it does, however, have a very strong impact on women's sex drive. In fact, um, women who have um, issues with low sex drive, low libido, often get prescribed hormone replacement therapy that will include some testosterone, usually a combination of estrogen and um, testosterone. The estrogen is there to improve sexual functioning in women, things like vaginal lubrication and so on, whereas the testosterone is there to improve women's sex drive. And so we, we see a lot more of, um, of a relationship between women's testosterone level and their sex drive than we do among men, interestingly enough. Uh, so people tend to think and tend to just assume it's the opposite. We always think of testosterone as the male hormone and estrogen as the female hormone. Uh, but 
all people have all of these hormones in their bodies. They're just in different ratios and they're all important for a variety of functions. Right. right. So those are two important myths, the menstrual sinking of women and that with two myths that we've dispelled, the menstrual sinking of women. And then now that we all assume that testosterone is about uh, male sex drive, but it's about female sex drive. So that's um, very informative. I really, that's, that's great. Joe, I wish Joe were here. He would love this information. He will be listening to the show. We will make him. I'm sure Joe has asked his doctor many times about taking (laughs) testosterone. (laughs) Well, on that note, thank you so much. This has been a really informative and fun interview. Thanks for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. The opinions on this podcast are broadcasted for educational and informational purposes only and do not represent the opinions of our employers. These opinions are not intended as a diagnosis, treatment, or as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult a local physician or other healthcare professional for your specific healthcare and or medical needs or concerns. All antidotes and patient-related details have been changed with respect to date, sex, and certain details so that patient identification is not possible. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.